Uh, pray with me as we prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word. Dear Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word, and thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that through him we may understand what has been generously given to us. I pray for Dr. Gallagher tonight as he faithfully exposits your word. May you, O Lord, be honored, and may we grow in understanding of your glory and of this great love with which you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The scripture reading tonight is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. If you'd like to follow along, uh, in the Pew Bibles, it is page 896. Follow with me as I read John 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. Do keep your Bibles open at this chapter. One of the earliest pieces of Christian art uh, you can find many examples of it in Rome, if you ever visit there, is that of a young shepherd carrying a sheep on his shoulders. And through the centuries since then, it has remained one of the most beloved portrayals of the Christ, the positive image of the Good Shepherd, which is contrasted here in this paragraph that we're looking at this evening with thieves and robbers who are out to destroy, or by mere hired people, hired men, who quickly abandon the sheep at the first sight of trouble. 
John has introduced this claim of Jesus following closely off off of the confession of a, a man who was healed, a man who was blind from birth, and who had been healed with Jesus. And if you glance back to chapter 9, verse 37, you find that man believing that Jesus is the Son of God and worshiping Him. That was one of the things that had sparked the controversy. People are getting really hopping mad with Jesus because people are now beginning to see beyond simply the teacher or the prophet or the miracle worker to the character and person of who Jesus is Himself. He is worshipped. And what stands out from that very scenario and that very picture is this, that later on in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when the people attempted to worship the apostles in Acts 14, they rebuked, the the apostles rebuked the people for even attempting to worship them. When John, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, attempted to worship an angel in the book of Revelation, the angel rebuked him. But unlike his apostles and unlike his angels, Jesus accepts, receives, and even compliments those who give him the worship that is due to God alone. Well, on the other hand, if he commends those who worship him, he has no words of commendation or affirmation for the Pharisees who, despite their knowledge of Scripture, are not ready to worship Jesus, are not even ready to listen to Jesus, and would not even admit that they had any need of Jesus. That is, would not admit that they were sinners. And this chapter, as it begins with this figure of speech, this figure of speech stumps the Pharisees. They don't get the message. It blinds them even further. It deepens, it hardens their unbelief as He speaks to them. Well, we're going to start with that figure of speech, as it's called, in these words. And we hear Jesus starting with that formula that has become familiar to us whenever He is about to say something profound and serious, truly, truly, I say to you. He goes on to describe a picture, a picture perhaps which needs to be explained to urbanites, Uh, but I hope not. I hope we're near enough the green fields and uh, what they call hills around here, uh, pimples we call them in Scotland, but but there you go. Uh, But you can see the picture, I think, that is being painted here. During the day, the sheep were out on the fields being fed. And by night, they were taken and they were enclosed in a pen, or to translate it for urbanites, a gated development specifically for sheep. And uh, they were guarded there usually by someone hired by the shepherds overnight, and in that gated development were to be kept safe. In the ancient world, each flock would be led by their shepherd. That was another difference from the modern world where sheep are driven by those who look after them. In the ancient world, as still in the Middle East, the shepherd leads the flock. They follow him. They they heed his voice. And there's the shepherd out in front, and the sheep are following behind the shepherd. That's the picture. 
that's painted here. And a number of shepherds would use the same gated development overnight. They'd keep their flocks there in the safekeeping of these under-shepherds. And in the morning, the shepherds would arrive back. They'd pay the under-shepherd and call their sheep by name. The sheep would recognize their shepherd, and they would follow him. That's the picture Jesus paints. That's the figure of speech that Jesus uses. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the background to Jesus' usage of this metaphor, this picture that he is painting here? The cultural background is fairly straightforward. Uh, Immediately, in the immediate background, there is this idea of the resistance of the Jewish religious leaders to the truth. They're like the thieves and the robbers. There is Jesus leading the people, teaching the people. The people are following Him. And they're working in the background trying to undermine His ministry, undermine the Word that He's teaching, and they're even plotting to have Him killed. The social background is that shepherds and sheep were familiar metaphor in the ancient world for a leader, a ruler, a king, for example, and his people. You would often find in the Greek and Middle Eastern world the image of the shepherd as the leader among the people and as the ruler of a nation. He was to care, the ruler was to care for his people the way a shepherd cared for his sheep. He was to lead his people the way a shepherd led his sheep. But there is a more compelling background for us. We don't come to the Bible merely against the background of the culture of its day. We come to the Bible against the background of the Bible's own culture and the Bible's own teaching. And when we arrive at this chapter and we hear Jesus speaking these words, we are we are bristling. If you know your Bible, your mind is already bristling with the background to this image that we find throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. The idea of the leader and the followers, the shepherd and the sheep, the ruler and his subjects, provides a natural picture of the relationship between Israel and God. God was their king. God was their shepherd. They were His subjects they were his sheep. So in Psalm 80, God is addressed as the shepherd of Israel. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned among the cherubim, shine forth. We'll be singing as we always do at communion in the evening from Psalm 23 in the familiar words of David, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, Jesus' audience, you see, would switch on immediately. They would have sung one of these psalms in their synagogue. The previous Lord, Lord's Day, the previous Sabbath, perhaps, the, the, in fact, we find Jesus had just healed a man on the Sabbath, so maybe this is the next day. Sabbath was yesterday. And they would have sung, perhaps, these songs, and so it's in their mind. And Jesus uses this analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. We know the rabbis regularly use that illustration. The rabbis would use a parable about Moses, for example, as a shepherd who had rescued Israel from the jaws of the wolf Pharaoh. David, David, the sweet singer of Israel, the great leader, he was the kind of epitome of what a king should be and a ruler should be. And David, you know, earned his spurs as a shepherd. And this, the prophets of Israel, 
the prophets of Israel, they were shepherds of the people, leaders of the people. Their voice was the voice the people were to listen to and the people were to follow. They spoke because God had appointed them. And when they're talking about the coming Messiah, the anointed one, Isaiah, for example, closely identifies the coming Messiah with the, with the Lord Himself, the, the anointed one, with the Lord Himself as someone who will, according to Isaiah 40, tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Jesus undoubtedly had that figure in his mind as he calls himself the good shepherd. But not only are those positive images there in this, this little picture, this, this figure of speech that Jesus uses here, but the, the negative elements are also there in the Hebrew Scriptures. In Jeremiah 23, the prophet refers, for example, to the unfaithful leaders of Israel. Not the prophets, by the way, but, but the leaders, the rulers, the, the intelligentsia, the, the class at the very top of life. He called those leaders, the leadership within Israel, he called them false, faithless shepherds. Listen to Jeremiah, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my sheep, you have scattered my flock, you have driven them away, you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. You don't want to ever hear the Lord say to the leaders of the people, you're not attending to the sheep. I will attend to you. That's a very ominous word indeed. Perhaps the most important background, however, to this chapter is in Ezekiel chapter 34. And there the Lord attacks the shepherds of Israel, that is, the leaders of the people. And we read this, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even the shepherds, thus says the Lord, woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep. And you can see from that language there in Ezekiel 34, the Lord says the sheep belong to Him. They're His sheep. They've been put in charge. They're the under-shepherds. They have a job to do. They're to look after. They're to care for the people. But they're to do it remembering the sheep belong to the Lord. They're the Lord's sheep. They're His people. And He brings His indictment. You can read it in Ezekiel 34. Let me read it to you. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. In the New Testament, the under-shepherds of the church are responsible not to rule with force and harshness. They are not to lord it over the people as if theirs was the power and authority in and of themselves but they are to deal gently with the flock of God. Why? Because it is God's flock, and they are to care for them in that way. 
And in that chapter, chapter 34 of Ezekiel, and we are getting to John 10, but you need all of this background before you understand what's going on in John 10. Against the background, the Lord indicates that the ultimate solution to the problem of sheep abuse is, in fact, the Lord Himself. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against the shepherds, and I'll require my sheep at their hand. And then a whole series of I wills. I will rescue my sheep. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them. I will feed them. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them with justice. There's God's agenda. God is saying that He will act. He will come. He will do these things. He will look for His people. He will bring His people to Himself. He'll gather them together. He'll protect them. He'll put a wall around them. He will be their God. He will be their shepherd. Jesus is using this language as He speaks and uses this figure of speech. This is where it comes from. These are the overtones that will be bristling in the mind of the people to whom He speaks, and it should be bristling in our minds as we come to this passage this evening. And as God in the Old Testament complains about the abusing of His people by the false shepherds, so Jesus warns about false prophets who come in sheep's clothing and inwardly are ravening wolves. Through Paul, he warns Christian elders and describes Christian elders by the Greek word poimen, which is the word shepherd or pastor. He warns the Ephesian elders, you know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arrive people speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's Acts 20. And the warning, you see, that comes through Jesus and then through Jesus' Spirit, through Paul, to the church is that there is always the possibility in the church of God, now as there was in Israel then, of false under-shepherds who abuse their office, who savage the flock of God. And today, in today's language, how may the flock of God be savaged? Well, it's savaged by false teaching. It's savaged by wrong doctrine. That's what comes in and destroys the people of God. The people of God are not being fed. They're not being nourished in the Word of God. And it is incumbent on shepherds that they guard what the flock is eating, that they care for the flock. They know what, what pasture is poisonous, and they don't leave them there. They keep them feeding in places where they might be nourished in the Word of God itself. Peter picks up this language, and he says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They'll do it secretly. They'll never be open up front about the false doctrine they're teaching. They'll do it secretly, covertly. They'll sneak them in, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing upon themselves destruction. 
That's Ezekiel 34. Later, in Ezekiel 37, we find the Lord's servant, David, the Messiah from David's line, ruling over his people with a new covenant and being their shepherd. And it's interesting, actually, if you read Ezekiel 37, the themes that are milling around behind that statement about the coming of the Messiah and him being the shepherd of the sheep, because it's in the context of the promise of cleansing water and the transforming Spirit of God. And if you've been following John's gospel, you'll know that's precisely the context in which Jesus says these words. He's talked about the cleansing water that He offered to the woman at the well, that He offered on the day, the great day of the feast, when they poured out the water and He invited people to come to Him. And He explained to them, or John explains, that the cleansing water is not only the product of Jesus' death, but is brought to us and applied to us by the transforming Spirit of God. It's the same kind of context as Ezekiel. In other words, the promised Spirit is the Lord Himself and is the Lord's servant David. You read Ezekiel and you think, which is it? Is it the Lord or is it the Lord's servant? And in John's gospel, the answer is given. They're one and the same. In one person, who is the Lord and the Lord's anointed, who is the Word and the Word's emissary, the Word who is God and who is God's emissary in the world. That's the background then to the passage. So we're ready to start. <laughs> and uh, because we're having communion, we're going to finish early. I promise you that. So here's the first statement. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. I've got three statements. We'll probably cover one or perhaps two tonight. The shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep, the security of the sheep, and the Savior of the sheep. He is the shepherd of the sheep. That's the figure of speech. You can see that language used as he pictures a sheep pen large enough to house several flocks belonging to several shepherds. And the first point that he makes is by way of contrast. There are those who are authorized to have dealings with the sheep, and there are those who are not authorized. There are those who do not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climb in by another way. And he characterizes those people as thieves and robbers. Now, if you take that image and you apply it to the church, we, we, are, we are led, actually, to use this image of the church. The church has its authorized people who are authorized by the, the church in its broadest, biggest sense to teach the Scriptures to us. Now, it's quite possible for someone authorized by the church to be one of those thieves and robbers who insinuates over the wall in the dead of night when you're not looking ideas which will subvert the work of God, and therefore they become thieves and robbers. Jesus is saying here that He is the authorized caretaker of the flock of God. And to be the shepherd of the sheep requires toughness and tenderness, courage and compassion, wisdom and watchfulness. You dare not have one or other of the couplets. 
You need them all. And so he states his own qualifications. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There's nothing covert or underhanded about the true shepherd. And the hired hand and the gatekeeper employed to keep watch at night recognizes the true shepherd. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep are his by right, and the gatekeeper knew them and acknowledged that. And here we learn some things about the sheep. We learn that the sheep hear His voice. In the Old Testament, Israel was the flock of God, and they recognized the voice of God. They recognized the voice of God through Moses. They recognized the voice of God in the law of God, the law of God which was the Word of God. When they were at their best, they recognized the voice of God through God's servants, the prophets who came to them to direct them and to lead them and to speak the Word of God to them. They recognized the voice of God. And here is Jesus now, you see, and he, what He's saying is this, that, that in this new covenant, He requires His people to hear His voice, that is, His teaching, His voice in the Word of God. And He will go on to a point in John's Gospel, His apostles, and they will be His spokesmen and His mouthpieces. They will give us our New Testament. They will underline the authority that we have from God in the Old Testament. Those apostles, because of their proximity to Jesus, become absolutely crucial to understanding that the foundation of the church is upon the, the, the basis, the ground of the apostles and the prophets. Through the apostles, back to the prophets. That is the foundation on which the church is built. And so the true shepherd, he tells us, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows them individually. He knows them collectively. Some shepherds would even give their sheep pet names. I have no idea what they, fuzzy, might be a quite pet name. I can't think what you would call a sheep. But Jesus is making a bigger point than that here. He, he will later refer to those whom the Father has given to Him. He takes us way back. Before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, when they're plotting and planning together this great enterprise in which they will make a great temple, a huge temple, the universe, in which created temple, they will make a creature in the image of God. And in that great plan, as they're formulating the plan, the Father gives promises of people to His Son. And the names of all of those elect people were decided and chosen and given to the Son before there was a sun in the sky, before there was a universe, before there was anything outside of God, the identity of these people were plotted and planned and known and loved by God. These people. These are the people who hear His voice 
and who are led by Him. When they hear His voice in the gospel, they prick up their ears, and they recognize the voice, and they follow Him. Not everybody does. The word of the gospel has gone out to all the world, and some believe and some don't in the same family. Some follow, some don't. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says. The shepherd calls, and his sheep leave the crowd, and they follow him. That's how we recognize true saving faith. Are people following Jesus? There's a twofold knowledge, you see, that's going on here. First of all, Christ knows his own, and his own recognize and know him when they hear him. That's a great thing. It, it, it is a great thing, not just, not just that we know God, but that we are known by God. And that we were known by God before the foundation of the world. Let me put it to you in a negative way. Jesus said on one occasion, you can read about it in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, quote, Lord, Lord, unquote, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. That's the knowledge of love. It's the knowledge of choice. It's the knowledge of placing deliberately one's affections upon someone. It's the electing love of God. It's the choosing love of God. It's the deciding love of God. It's the initiative-taking God who places His love upon His people. He knows His sheep. In John 17, the Father gives His people to His Son. In Revelation 13, their names were written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Isn't that an amazing thing? Brother or sister, if you've followed Jesus, if you've heard His voice, if you've recognized Him, to be the Savior, if you're following Him this evening, do you know, do you know that you were loved from before the foundation of the earth? That He knew your name. He knew your hat size. He knew your shoe size. He knew everything there was to know about you. And He loved you and chose you. And all the effort of building a universe all the effort of creating angels and archangels and cherubim and seraphim, all the effort of creating humanity, all the effort of dealing with what humans do when they're given free choice there in the garden by disobeying God, all the effort of sending prophets and apostles, all the effort of the incarnation, of God taking upon Himself in Christ our human nature, all the effort of the cross, all that effort of the Spirit of God through the Word of God going into the world 
was so that you would hear the voice of the shepherd and on hearing it, respond. Because you recognized his voice. That's this picture that's being painted here. You see, the natural person, that is the person without the Spirit of God, doesn't get the gospel. Now, don't for one minute think, by the way, that this means we're any less energetic in getting the gospel out. In fact, if the missionary work of the church is any, is any record, it is those who most believe in election who have been most exercised in the business of getting the gospel out to the world. But it does mean this, that what they hear, what people have to hear, has to represent the voice of the Son. So, when we're preaching the gospel, we have to preach the gospel of Jesus, authorized by Jesus. I mean, He can use anything, but if we're going to be faithful, we have to preach the gospel as it's come to us in Scripture. We have to preach the whole story of creation and redemption of the making of Adam and his fall into sin, of the story of Israel in her bondage and then in her freedom. With all that that teaches us about the nature of God, we have to preach the law of God. That gives us an insight into the character of God and that in which we see our own sinfulness and need of salvation. We have to preach the propitiatory sacrifice, that is, Jesus turning aside the wrath that is due to us the penal substitutionary death of Jesus, Jesus dying in my place and bearing the penalty of a broken law in Himself. We have to preach the whole gospel. And those who are Jesus' people know that that gospel is offensive. It has always been offensive, but it will lead you to life. We know that that gospel will be uh, cried against, and yet that gospel is profitable for all. And Jesus' sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd, and they follow him. Jesus says that we must follow the shepherd, that the true sheep hear the voice of Jesus and they follow him, and they commit themselves to his service. And do you see in verse 5, they recognize the truth that has been revealed by God, a stranger they will not follow. They will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. What that's saying is that among the true people of God, there will always be a sense. When Antichrist comes, it's going to be hard for the people of God to discern right from wrong, truth from error. They will almost be deceived almost be deceived by Antichrist. But almost is important because the true people of God will have this instinctive, always have this instinctive sense of the truth of God. And those who truly follow Jesus will never turn away from Jesus. They may have seasons of doubt, of anxiety, of questioning, they may even lapse into error or evil, but they will always return to their first love. 
His sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. And I think of all the ungodly zeal today of those who want to reinterpret the gospel to make it more user-friendly, more generally accessible, more media-savvy, more culturally connected. And I want to say that when you go down that route, you end up modifying the gospel itself. It's easy to redefine sin as self-love rather than as transgression of God's law. And it's easy to redefine hell as God's absence rather than God's awful presence in wrath to punish sin. And it's easy to redefine redemption, not as personal salvation, but as cultural transformation. But all of it is unnecessary, as well as wrong. Because Jesus' sheep hear His voice. We go out with the gospel unmodified, unchanged, untarnished, and we proclaim that gospel. And Jesus' sheep follow Jesus. And if we have one prayer together, let, it, that, may let our prayer be that, that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to draw Jesus' sheep to Himself. Father, we thank You that You have given us a leader we can follow You've given us your own appointed Son, the Savior of the world, who comes to us in the gospel and calls us to follow him, to come follow him. Most of us, many of us in this room are following him. We pray that you would keep us listening out for his voice. And for those of us, Lord, who are under shepherds of the flock of God, keep us faithful, we pray, in guarding the sheep, in guarding the flock, in guarding us from thieves and robbers who would come and insinuate themselves into the life of the flock in order to lead them astray. Give us wisdom, and all together as your people, keep us faithful to Jesus. We ask in his strong name. Amen.